Well, I don't know how you feel about going into this new year. Um, maybe, this, maybe the title is actually a re re symbol of the fact that I'm not really sure what year it is anymore because someone pointed out, the point was saying that 2020 has been now repeated this many times. It should be times four, not times three. So like, starting off today, I realized my title just, just missed the point <laughs> entirely. Here's what I was going for. I realized the past couple of years, I think I've come to the new year thinking, all right, finally, we're kind of turning the corner from 2020. Like we're putting that in the past because 2020, if you remember, was the year where COVID was the headline about everything. But every year, it just seems like we don't really move the clock that far ahead. 2021 seemed to be a bit more of just 2020 repeated. And then this past year, I thought, okay, finally, we're going to turn a corner. And we are just a few months into it, and all of a sudden, Putin decides, hey, let's launch a war. And at least I watched that headline thinking, oh my goodness, here's a nuclear superpower playing bully with a small neighbor. And I guess we've gotten so used to the fact that the Ukrainians have mounted a very stalwart defense, but I remember sitting there thinking, what is the world coming to? We had COVID, now we've got perhaps nuclear war on the edge of our future. Well, the world banded together and supported Ukraine, and part of that was making sure we weren't going to buy Russia's oil and gas. And so that kind of hit our pocketbooks. And I remember watching as every time I drove past the gas station, it was up 20 cents more. I was like, oh my goodness, when's this going to stop? And so this year has, has hit us in a whole new kind of way. Inflation and Ukraine happens to be one of the breadbaskets of the world, so suddenly food costs were rising. And inflation took us by surprise. We had double-digit inflation. Some of us sat, sat behind and watched our savings suddenly not have as much purchasing power as they once did. And so for me, 2022 is kind of like a sucker punch. It's like, how do you think the world's going to go somewhere positive? Bam. And so I don't know how you're entering 2023. You might have this little bit of, uh, is it going to hit us again? Is there another surprise coming down the pike? We've had all these things. Perhaps that we've hoped for a better world, a better year. We've got all kinds of other things. You know, maybe you, you hoped the Steelers would finally figure out what the post-Rothelsberger world was going to look like. And we discovered this year they didn't have a plan. And may, maybe you were like hoping maybe the Phillies could pull it out. And they didn't. And so you might be looking around and saying, I, there's, there's not a lot to get excited about. And all the cultural issues that worried us from 2020 onward are still there. And people, I've even heard people the rumor is that people at North Park Church have even said there's not any hope for the future. So I don't know how you're entering 2023. I want you to take a moment. Just think of a word that describes where you are. Maybe you're excited. That's fine. I know I've been trumping on the negative here, but maybe you're excited. Maybe there's something you're anticipating. Take a moment. Just identify a word that kind of captures where you are at this moment looking into 2023. What are some of those words? You can go ahead and just shout them out. Hopeful. Hopeful. All right. We got some hope. Cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. If I had more time, I'd explore the caution behind that. Excellent. What else? Waiting. I'm sorry? Waiting. Waiting. Yeah, waiting. Neutral. Weary. Neutral. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. So I don't know how you're entering it. You might be on the positive side, hopeful, anticipating something good. You might also be kind of holding back. Don't want to get my hopes up because 2021, 2022 have also been surprises. And so 
as we enter this year, I, want, I would like to be able to stand up here and say, you know what, it's going to be a great year. Just, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be better. It's going to finally be all the answers you've been waiting for since 2020. But I can't guarantee you that. I can't. In fact, it might actually get worse. It could. It could. It really could. But here's the deal. Regardless of whether things get worse in your perspective or improve, I can assure you of this. God is no less powerful, and his will for us to be a community in which Christ is formed has not changed one bit. The only thing that might change is a testing ground in which God would have us prove that we, in fact, do trust him and have faith that he is good. Today we're going to look at a story. It's a familiar story, but it's a story of three young men who are taken from their homeland, put into a different testing ground that they never chose. They demonstrate faith in God. And by during the accusations and the punishment that their world had to give them, they give a chance for God to demonstrate that he, in fact, is the most high God of the universe. So let's go ahead and turn there today. And as we do, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to start off, we're going to discover their testing ground was not one of their choosing. They were taken away from their land, put in a foreign land, and made to serve a pagan king who then enforced idolatry upon them. So let's take a look at this opening part of the story. Here's where they are. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now, a cubit's about a foot and a half, so 60 cubits high is probably 90 feet tall. It's pretty tall. People speculate that perhaps it's had a base on the bottom that would hold the statue, and then it's about nine feet wide. So nine feet wide, 90 feet tall. It's, it's a very majestic structure. I remember on the farm, we had a 100-foot silo, and that was like, whoa, a skyscraper to me as a little kid. So 90 feet tall is a very, very high structure. He sets it up and invites them all there, but we're going to see... He wants something from these people who are assembled. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and note this, worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So there's two things I want to pull out here that these young men did not choose. First of all, they didn't choose to go to Babylon. This foreign king came and extracted them from their homeland. So King Nebuchadnezzar went and he conquered their country, I'm sure their families put up a stalwart defense, but he conquered them nonetheless and then took them back to his homeland to serve him. They didn't want to be here, but they were forced to be here. The second thing is that they were forced to worship something their laws and their God had told them not to do, to worship a golden image. So you might think of whatever, whatever you think of our current cultural situation, think of this, there was no religious freedom. When the king said, hey, I want you to worship my golden image, you had to do it. There was no option to be like, hey, I've got a religious exception here. You had to do it. This was the law of the land. The king was the law of the land. 
and he was going to enforce it with a fiery furnace. So again, this testing ground was not of their choosing. It was set for them. How they responded now was their choice. And so as we enter 2023, some of the factors that are impacting us are not things that you chose. For instance, you might not have chosen to distribute government stimulus checks a few years ago. That's contributing to inflation. You might not have said, hey, Putin, I want you to go to war. That's contributing to where we are today. So some of the challenges that we face are not of our own doing. There's plenty of things I've done to make my life difficult, trust me. But there are things outside of our control that often make life difficult, and it's such a challenge. And that's a testing ground in which we get to demonstrate faith in God. It's the same thing for them. They didn't choose some of these scenarios. They didn't choose to go to Babylon. They didn't choose to have a pagan king that would enforce idolatry, and yet they're in that country, and they have this is now the ground of their testing. Now, I'll note this. Their test is a clear violation of one of the Ten Commandments. It's nice and easy. They had a choice, clear choice. God said this. The king says this. I'm not following the king. I'm following God. It was very clear. I wish all things came so clearly. But one of the things I've, I've come to realize, especially over the past couple of years, is that good Christian people will disagree on about a lot of different things when it's not so clear in Scripture. And part of what it means to fight for the unity of the body of Christ is realizing there's going to be Christians who sometimes make mountains out of what I think are molehills. And there's other times where I, where I look at Christians, I'm like, you should be talking about that. You need to be standing up for that. And they're like, meh, not my fight. And part of, I think, the, the calling for us, if it's not clear, to give some space for our brothers and sisters who have different convictions at different points which are willing to take a stand that differ from where we would take a stand. Just a few weeks ago, I was noticing one of my friends on Facebook said something about one of the, one of the major Christian magazines in our country. He said, they're no longer Christian. And I was like, okay, that's kind of odd. I'm not sure what he means by that. So I, I just asked him, hey, what do you mean? And he kept saying, well, they, they departed from traditional Christian teaching. I was like, okay, well, where did they do this? It came down to that they endorsed a public policy that he was not a fan of. They hadn't changed their teaching. They hadn't changed their doctrine. They hadn't fallen down and worshipped an idol. But simply by disagreeing with public policy, he was now going to call the Christianity into question. And I think there needs to be, so I'm just offering this as a caution for us as a, as a body of Christ, to be careful about where we draw the line of what someone else has to also stand up for and what we're called to stand up for. Sometimes it's different, but when it comes to a clear violation of a Ten Commandment like this one, it's pretty clear. And so these three men now have a choice. How will they respond to this ground of testing which God has brought to them? What we're going to see now is that there's an accusation and then a punishment brought against them. Here's the next few verses. At that time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. 
We're not really sure about their motives. They're very obsequious here, here to the king. My, your majesty, you know, live forever. They do all the proper things. And then they have the accusation. You know what? There's some Jews over there. And they don't serve you, and they don't serve your gods. They make this personal. Nebuchadnezzar, they're against you, and you, you put them in charge. So maybe there's some jealousy behind this accusation. We get into situations like that where other people want our position or they want our influence. And so what happens? Well, look at that. You put them in charge, and look, they don't even serve you. They don't serve your gods. Well, with this being so personal, the king does not respond very favorably to this report. He brings them up, but he doesn't necessarily punish them right away. He gives them a second chance. Very, very generous of him. So here, here he goes. He is furious with rage, so he's still mad. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, I made very good. So, hey, here's the path to saving your life. Just fall down. It's very simple. I spelled it out for you. In case you didn't know the directions, you were too far back in the crowd, here you go. This is what you got to do. I'm telling you personally, face to face. It'll be very good for you. Who doesn't want it to be very good for them in the next year? But on the other hand, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? What's interesting now, this becomes about the gods. See, it quickly went from these three guys, are, they're not falling in line. Now it's, you know what, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there is no god that can save you from a fire. It's really now a question, who's, who's more powerful? The fire of Nebuchadnezzar or God himself? It's now a contest. And these young men are now in that very contest before this king. Now you might be wondering, like, where did they get this fiery furnace from? Do the, the Babylonians just go around like building furnaces and be like, hey, if you don't obey me, you're going to that fiery furnace? Well, I think the most likely explanation is that to make the gold smelted, they would have had a furnace right there on site. And so they had that burning. Hey, this is now the threatened punishment. Boom, we'll throw you in that, and that will be the end of you, or so they think. So here's the test. Here's the accusation. Here's the threat. And how do our young men respond? Again, th these are probably young boys, probably teenagers. How do they respond to this threat of their very lives? I mean, they got careers in government. They were going places. Do they just waste it here, standing up for this thing? They make a choice. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the, to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, I'll just note the ESV and the NIV both translate that last part there as he will deliver us. That's one way of rendering. It's probably the most common way of rendering the, the Hebrew phrase there. But it could also be a conditional that he may or he, he might do this. And I think I like that translation better just because the very next verse starts with, but if not. See, so they believe that God has the power to rescue them from the fiery furnace, but then don't necessarily say God has to do it just because I believe it. 
it could not happen. So he can, but whether he does or not does not mean he can or cannot do it. I still believe he can, even if he chooses not to do it. And then they say, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So there it is. We're not going to do this. We're not going to fall down and worship the golden image that you have set up. What they have demonstrated here is, is faith. Faith that God has the power to overcome even fire itself, to preserve them. And here's, here's, the, here's the interesting part about faith. At least what I find when I'm, I'm wrestling with God over trusting him, really trusting him, is that I often want a certain outcome. And I, as soon as I get into that place where like, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you, I'm just hoping that God recognizes me and says, okay, that's good enough. You've learned the lesson. I'll give, the, I'll give you the thing. Boom. So oftentimes our faith is fixed on a certain outcome. We have faith so that God will bless us, so that God will rescue us. But their faith says, you know what? I believe God, and the outcome is up to him. And that's a hard place to rest. To say, I do believe God has all that power, and he can do it even if I don't see it. Even if I never touch that result. In the great chapter of faith, it starts off, so this is Hebrews 11, with so many of them receiving the thing that they hope for, the thing that they have faith for. They receive the child, Abraham and Sarah, get the child that they've been waiting for. But at the end of that chapter, and I think it's a very important part, then that chapter ends, and it talks about people being sawn in two, being tortured to death. And it says that they still have faith. See, faith sometimes results, has that outcome that we look for, but oftentimes it does not. And can we still have faith even when God does not deliver in the way we want him to? Faith says, I believe God, and leaves it up to him how we will respond. It's also not mixed. There's, there's not like a, some kind of fireproof suit they're putting on. It's like, I, I have trust in God. I'm going into the fiery furnace, and I, I have nothing else to shield me besides God himself. And in our day and age, it's easy to have faith in God plus other things. We have faith in God, and it's like, oh, I like that retirement account number. Or I, I have faith in God, and I like my GPA and my hope of getting into that college. Or I have faith in God, and I like the medical treatment that my wife is, or my, my, my spouse is being put on. We, we have this, like, God plus other things. And faith, pure faith, is trusting God alone. And sometimes he strips all those other things away from us so we trust in him and him alone and not these other things that often cloud and, and contaminate our faith. Faith is also not trust in probable outcomes. So many times I get to challenges in life and I start thinking, okay, what, what, what are the possibilities of getting through this jam on my own? And that's really just faith in natural outcomes. So for instance, you might be looking at your bank account or your retirement account thinking, wow, that number kind of dropped over this year. And then you might do some research and be like, okay, the chances of us having two negative years back-to-back -back is pretty minimal, so you know what? I think next year is going to be a good year for the stock market to put more money in. That's faith in, in natural outcomes. Here, here's the probability that the world naturally has, and I'm going to trust that. And so often our faith is, is faith in that. And so oftentimes when people start talking about losing faith, what they're losing faith in are natural outcomes. So they might say, there's no hope for that guy. 
what they're saying is from their perspective, what they can see is that that person making those choices that it, that person has continued to make, there, there's no way that person can turn it around. Or if they say there's no hope for this generation, what they're saying is from where they sit, they see no way things are going to get better on their own. And guess what? That's not faith in God. That God's a living, active God who does things, that changes things, that is active here. That can step into the space-time world and rescue three people from a fire. But these three guys, they demonstrate faith. They put themselves there, say, I, we believe God is able to do this, and we don't hold it against him if he chooses not to. And they let the king know, we're not bowing down to that thing. He was already angry. You can imagine he's not any less angry now. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And so into the furnace they go. He's angry. He's furious. Burn them up. He throws them in. And then something strange happens. They don't burn up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. See, Nebuchadnezzar thinks, oh, my fire's more powerful. No god can save from this. He throws them in, and what does he see? Now he sees four people in there, and he's utterly amazed. Now, that fourth person's always a little bit of an enigma. Who or what is he? Um, if you go on, Nebuchadnezzar later will say, it's an angel. Um, here it says, like the son of the gods. And so I've heard people argue for it being a pre-incarnate Christ. Others would say an angel. I think we're, we have very little data to work with. I think the best case for a Christ figure would be tying this together with Daniel 7's son of man figure and then the chapter 9 figure, which is the Messiah being cut off. If we're supposed to see all those together, then this would be the messianic Christ figure showing up. I'm fine if you take it as an angel, to be honest. I'm going to be very clear about that. But I think what's really interesting, that fourth person never comes out of the fire. He's only ever seen in the fire. And sometimes you have to go into the hard place to discover God in a whole new way. And I know a lot of times in life, I, I see the hardship coming, and it's like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Please, God, please, please get me away from that thing. And we try to avoid it. But there's something beautiful that happens here because they go in the fire. They discover that God is actually present in, in there with them. And there's something new to discover about God when we go into the trial itself. One of my favorite theologians is, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote really powerful stuff most of his life. But during his time in prison, right towards the end of his life when he knew the end was coming. In fact, actually on the day he realized that their little conspiracy ring was exposed and he was likely going to die, he wrote one of the most heartfelt letters. And he started experiencing what it was like to actually be with Christ in the midst of hardship. And he, he has this line where he talks about, then we stay awake with Christ in Gethsemane. We know what it was like for Christ to feel the pangs of, of death coming on. There's something we experience living in the trial of developing these muscles of faith. That God gives us something new. And here, a pagan king 
looking in, sees one like the son of the gods. And it's in this point that God now sets himself apart. So we've seen these young men go through a testing ground not of their choosing. We've seen the accusation and the punishment delivered for these young exiles. Now, we see that God's going to set himself apart, that he is the most high God, and Babylon's gods are not. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, the opening line is, hallowed be thy name. Now, that language strikes me as kind of old, and I often feel like, are we, are we talking about Halloween here, like spooky? Is God supposed to be spooky? Like, what does it mean to be hallowed be? And, and really, what we're praying when we say hallowed be is say, God, we want you to set your name apart. Show us that you are something other than human, that you are God. That's precisely what happens now in the next part of this chapter. God, oops, I was already there. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, notice this, servants of the Most High God. Come out, come here. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's, he's praising this God who has sent his angel, now it's an angel, and rescued his servant. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Now, it wasn't too long ago that he was saying, no god can save you from my hands, right? And now he's had a complete change of heart and mind. I'm not saying he's converted to their religion or to faith in Yahweh, but he's at least aware there is a God who can save from the fiery furnace. And it's the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship. And so now he's saying, no one can make fun of this God. No one else denigrates this God because you know what? We've just seen he is the all-powerful God. And so now God distinguishes himself in this Babylonian world in this foreign land, when his faithful servants are willing to stand up and say, no, my God is the only God. And so Nebuchadnezzar here has a realization that he is not the most powerful thing on the, on the earth. No God is. And now, again, I would say, notice the language here. He's using language like Most High God or God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's not using the covenant name of God. I think he's had some kind of awareness that, whoa, this God, this God's really powerful. I'm not sure he's converted over to Judaism or worshiping of, of Yahweh. And notice what happens next. So these young men put their lives on the line, were willing to cash it all in, and God has a gift for them in the end. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Remember those accusers earlier on saying like, hey, king, you, you put these guys over a lot of stuff in, 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 the, in the palace world. Guess what? They get more of it. You don't always get this outcome. Sometimes you lose out. I've had friends who've taken ethical stands in, in their places of work and been fired. It can cost you. But there are times when God rewards those who are faithful to him, even in the world, world in which we live. And they receive that. They get promoted. So we've seen the story of three young boys who go into the ground of testing, and they're tested in this place, a foreign land, and they're tested to 
worship an idol, and they refuse, and they receive the accusation and the punishment of a foreign king. And because they do that, God is able to set himself apart as the God who can rescue from the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar and all those in Babylon now see that and recognize it. This is a powerful God. So as we enter 2023, there are things about our lives that are difficult. There are things that are hard. There's things that we perhaps didn't choose that make it hard. Things politicians have done, things other leaders have done. And we can grumble and complain about that. Or we can move into it and say, Lord, what do you have for me to demonstrate here? How can I live in faith and hope that you are a good God, that you're still here active and doing things? How can I enter this time and be your faithful servant? How can I live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? One of my favorite parts of the second movie of Lord of the Rings is this part where Sam and Frodo begin to realize that taking the ring to Mount Doom is going to take everything that they have and probably require even a good bit more. And they're realizing, like, man, I, I just can't go on. It's going to be a hard journey. And in life, we bump up to places like that where, yeah, it is hard. But somewhere in there, Sam begins to have this awareness that maybe all those great stories that we've heard were of people who also bumped up against their capacity and realized, I can't do it anymore, and still pushed in with faith and hope. And then Sam begins to wonder, maybe I'm living one of those great stories. Maybe it's not just like, I'm not just sitting around listening to Uncle Bilbo. Maybe I'm actually living that story now. So my fear for you today is that we look at this story from Daniel 3 and think, oh, yeah, it's a great story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow, God can do some really cool stuff. And then when we don't turn and look at our own lives, the places that feel like, wow, that's really hard. I want it to be different. It'd be a shame if we read this story, look at it, and then walk away and say, you know what? I'm just going to go on living my life the way I've always lived it. Or giving, I'm just going to give up. These challenges are too great for me. I'm just going to stop. So I think today, as we enter 2023, the choice is before us. What will you do? Will, will you continue to wallow in all the, the pain that's here? The hardship? Yeah, inflation is cutting our budgets. Yes, we're asking questions as a culture you might not have wanted to ask, but you get to be a parent and a grandparent in this day, in this age. This is our time. This is our testing ground. And will you step into it with faith and hope that there is a God who's at work doing things like rescuing people from a fiery furnace? Can he step into whatever situation you have in front of you? Can you meet that and say, Lord, I believe you, even if the outcome that you desperately want doesn't come to pass? Can faith and hope be yours in this next year? I hope it can. One of the things I'm going to invite you to do right now, I know this might seem like a little bit of a shift, but you received all these, these little cards on the way in. Well, I want you to take it out right now. And this is a card that's asking you to pray for somebody that you would like to see God do work in. And what I'm going to actually invite you to do next week is to invite them to something at church. We're going to give you three different options. The one of them is a church service. I know that's a pretty high commitment to invite somebody to, so if you do feel like that's too high, we've got some other options. So here's the three options. It's going to be church service, alpha, 
or a compass event that's designed for just everyone to come and have fun. So you've got different levels. I want you to pick someone that you would like to invite to one of those. Put their name on here, and this week I want you to pray for that person. So go ahead, write that person's name down. Just one way of moving into this next year saying, Lord, I want to see where you're at work. I want to have faith, even when perhaps the natural outcomes don't seem favorable, this person would turn to Christ or be interested in even coming to anything regarding what our church is doing. Put that name down. I want you to start praying. And then if you would like someone else to join you in praying for that person, you can put it in the prayer wall in the back on your way out. But I want you to start praying, saying, Lord, I want to see. Because one of the things that builds our faith is when we see God do things that we can't do. And one of the ways I know to do that is start praying for things that seem impossible. Because God often meets us in places that seem like a fiery furnace. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, you know the challenges that we hold. The things that feel impossible, the things that feel overwhelming. Lord, we pray that you would take them. Lord, show us that even in, in, in your eyes, they, they are but dust and straw. They, they are nothing. Remind us, Lord, set, a, set yourself apart, even in our own hearts and minds, that you are the most high God, able to redeem, able to restore. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.